Welcome to The Good Night Show. I'm Shay Morrison, sleep expert and co-founder of The Good Night Co. Join me each week for hints and tips on all things sleep. This week on episode three, we explore how food, gut health and hormones play a role in sleep and why it is important to really start thinking about what you are eating and how you might be able to use this as an advantage to get more or maybe better sleep. Emma Norris is joining us today. She's a clinical nutritionist, recipe developer, speaker and avid foodie and she is particularly passionate about mental health, gut health and hormones. Emma has a very holistic approach to looking at how gut and hormonal imbalances can sometimes be the root cause when it comes to mental illness. And as we know, anxiety and stress play such a big role in a lot of people's sleep problems. So I'm really looking forward to chatting with Emma about some of these areas today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Good Night Show. It's Shay here, and joining me today is Emma Morris. Emma is a clinical nutritionist who is passionate about educating and empowering her clients to put together balanced meals without hours of prep, calorie counting, or weighing portions, which she believes for many can instill a fear around food. She is an avid foodie, always experimenting in the kitchen herself, and loves to create recipes for all types of food intolerances. Emma also has a degree in psychology and is passionate about healing mental health conditions such as depression and anxiety by exploring the impact of food and the underlying biochemical drivers in the body. Welcome, Emma. It's so great to have you on the show today. Thank you, Shay. It's a pleasure to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, just give us an explanation and describe what it is that you actually do. So at heart, I am a clinical nutritionist, which means that I work one-on-one with clients, but I also do a little bit of recipe development. Um, I do some speaking engagements and workshops. And as you said, I'm an avid foodie. (laughs) So food plays a huge role in my life. But as you did mention as well, I'm very, very passionate about mental health. And it is my absolute, yeah, passion and honor to be working with um, individuals, both in a one-on-one setting and also I'm just about to launch a group setting as well Ah. where we yeah we pull apart what might be going on from a mental health perspective using a lot of biochemical tools so I like to look into blood tests and nutrient deficiencies and how the body is actually functioning at that biochemical level yeah so that's a huge passion of mine um, and I've had a lot of success clinically doing that and yeah, with with working with clients one-on-one like that, part of that work involves, you know, many lifestyle factors as well as food. So, you know, I look at, you know, exercise and stress reduction and all of that as well, including sleep, of course. So it all really is very important for mental health and very, very holistic. Like I really do believe that, yeah, health in general, but especially mental health needs to be looked at um, from a very holistic perspective, not just you know, what the thoughts that we're thinking, but also what we're putting into our bodies and how much we're sleeping and whatnot. So yeah, that's a, that's a little bit about what I do day to day. And where did that passion for the mental health side of things come into um, what you do? I started with a psychology degree. So I've always had a real passion for, and just a curious mind, I guess, for mental health um, and the psychology behind behavior. 
So my first degree is psychology and I love that. But I mean, to be honest, I've had my own mental health um, struggles, which I guess is the real uh, yeah. <laughs> fire in my belly because I really do understand what it's like to suffer with both anxiety and depression. But uh, depression in particular, I've had a really, really, um, yeah, I'm very, very familiar with it yeah. um, in my past. Yeah. And so I guess seeing how debilitating it was for me um, really yeah, it really pushed my curious mind to wonder about why, why was this happening? Yes. You know, I, I'm always thinking why I'm asking the question why, but why? Yeah. So yeah, so I've, I've suffered before and, you know, using all of these things that I talk about and educate others about, I have um, been able to really balance out my mental health and not saying I'm perfect, but uh, definitely so, so much better than previously. So I, yeah, I really have that passion to try and help others do the same. Oh, that's great. And I guess that that, you know, really helps to, I guess that is probably a reason why the kitchen is a happy place for you and, you know, mm. why you love being in the kitchen as well. Is that, you know, can you tell us a bit more about that connection then? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, being a nutritionist, I am biased in that, you know, food is one of the biggest influences on our health and I think the way that we prepare food and the time that we give it um, really has an impact on the way we even think about food as well so I believe food is not just fuel I really do believe it's information into you know going into our bodies every single time that we eat we can be telling our bodies to heal um, and you know to function effectively or we can be telling our bodies to create you know, uh, a lower level of health and a, you know, higher level of inflammation. So I think that, you know, being in the kitchen for me is a way that I, um, it's kind of one of my creative ways of expression, I think as well. Um, and it's a bit different, obviously, to being in clinic. So I do love to experiment in the kitchen. I have very, very fond memories from my childhood being in the kitchen, baking with my mum, who was a really good both baker and cook. She she gave us, um, she made so many beautiful meals for us growing up. Yeah. So I, I guess I was lucky in that I, yeah, I had a lot of home cooked meals and I, I guess I took it for granted back then. Yeah. Um, but I just think that baking and cooking is I feel like a lot of people, yeah, don't give it the time that it needs. Um, just being in the kitchen and preparing food in such a busy world that we live in today. And I think that we really, I mean, we all have to eat, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Three meals being, a day. Yeah. So I love just, um, you know, it comes back to me helping to instill that little bit of inspiration into my clients. And I love creating recipes and creating food for my family and my friends. And it's almost like my love language, I guess you would say. And not to mention, you know, cooking and, you know, just relaxing in the kitchen. And I love to play some music. I It's my form of meditation. Yeah, beautiful. I mean, I, I guess I'm lucky in that way that I do enjoy it so much that, um, I just, you know, I always think the best things that you're doing for your soul, you just lose track of time. Yes. And that's what happens to me when I'm in the kitchen. I just lose, lose track of all time and it really just lights me up. So, yeah, there's multiple levels there, I guess, where being in the kitchen becomes my happy place, but that's just a, a little bit of an insight there. And I think that it would be remiss of us not to address the fact that we're in the middle of a, a very different world at the moment with mm. COVID-19. And I think that, um, you know, everything that I sort of see around me at the moment, that there definitely seems to be a trend towards people spending some more time in the kitchen because they do have that extra time where they're not necessarily having to commit 
commute and and do all the the normal routines. So, yes. uh, you know, have you seen that sort of transpire as well? Yes, absolutely. Um, both, you know, on on social media, just seeing people cooking more, and I think that just creates a overall for for people. It just creates this, I don't know, this vibe of you know encouragement uh, it encourages others to get into the kitchen and, and do that as well and I think uh, you know clinically I'm seeing it a lot more with clients those who were super busy and probably didn't cook a lot and now getting into it a bit more which is and great yeah it's amazing so and also you know, I think we'll talk about this a bit later but there's this misconception of cooking being really really time consuming and I think that this this time is helping people to put together some easy meals and to actually show themselves that they can do it and it doesn't take a master chef to you know whip up a a decent really you know nutritious meal so that's the other positive I'm seeing as well and I think that it is like what you were saying before you know when you do have the time to spend in the kitchen and and just sort of immerse yourself it sort of shows you that you can't really make a mistake you can always Mm. fix things and you know if something fails then you can just try again Um, and I think with cooking that's a really big area where people think oh well you know I follow the recipe and it didn't work well you know you know you just try again and you'll you'll get a great result Yes. And I find that people really, they almost have a fear of cooking. Like they might have, you know, they might have experienced a a negative experience where they might have, you know, stuffed up a recipe or whatever, and it didn't, it didn't taste great. And so then they go, oh no, I can't cook. And that's just who they are. You know, like, oh, I can't cook. I'm no good in the kitchen. It's almost like this story they tell themselves and then they believe it to be true. Yeah. But I really encourage my clients to, you know, get back into the kitchen. I try and really meet them where they're at. So, you know, if they're really, really um, an avid cook, then I, I meet them there. But if they're not, and it's really about stripping it back and, and really encouraging them to be able to put together some basic meals. And I think experience is everything. There's, you know, you can look at meals on all day online or in recipe books, but until you actually get into the kitchen and experience it and, yeah, have have a few failures, I guess, um, you don't you, you don't know how, how easy or hard it is. So I yeah. really do encourage my clients to get in there and they more than often will come out and say, well, actually – that wasn't too bad and it's a skill so it, it's always I be, actually went yeah. in um I had never made Anzac biscuits I don't know if I should admit to that or not <laughs> but I had never made Anzac biscuits and um I made them for the first time on the weekend and they were so easy it was yeah. great <laughs> oh my gosh that is such a um yeah a really common perception yeah right? I actually just made some Anzac bickies last night yeah. I've already had a couple today oh so good <laughs> and so, so good tell us a little bit Emma about um ways that you find it easy for people then who may not um, have done a lot of cooking or love it what are some easy ways around prep and things like that Mm. so I find prep to be a huge make or break um, factor and of course everybody has their own schedule everybody has their own family you know there's different people cooking in different households you know everyone's got different circumstances but the one thing I think that is really really um, common is that you know the the people need to start to think about what they're going to eat for the week you know and it doesn't have to be every single meal mapped out although some people do like to do that but I think that um, some of the the key uh, I guess educational pieces I try and get across to my client is is just to sit down and just jot down even just five 
five weekday meals, you know, like five of your, your weekday dinners and, and go from there. You know, think about, well, what am I going to have when I come home from work on that Monday night? You know, am I going to know what what it is that I'm going to cook or am I going to, you know, uh, reach for Uber Eats or, you know, swing by, you know, a fast food outlet on the way home um, because I don't know. And that's just because people aren't prepared properly. And it can be an absolute game changer to just spend 10 minutes on the weekend or whenever the the time is that you've got off to think about these things, no matter how busy you are as a family, even having young kids and whatnot, you can, you know, grab 10 minutes of your, of your time and just sit down and create some kind of list. I do encourage just a little bit of, even if it, if it works for the family, some batch cooking. So even if it means, you know, on the weekend, not spending the whole day of a Sunday in the kitchen, because really who, who wants to do that? You know, unless you are, really, really a lover of uh, being in the kitchen. Um, but I mean, there's lots of busy families and busy professionals out there, or busy people, um, and they don't have the time to be spending all day in the kitchen. So just prepping a couple of really simple things like a tray bake of roast veggies, you know, to to, tr- to really prep in, in, in a batch and then pop them in the fridge once they cool down and then you've got them and you can pair them with some, you know, some easy greens and some kind of protein as well. So, you know, just prepping some protein, some maybe a complex carb, like some rice or or some quinoa and then a little bit of, yeah, roast veggies. um, That can be the saving grace for some meals during the week. It's a great idea and um, definitely something that we try and do on weekends is is, is Mm. planning. And if I can, you know, do up one or two meals that we've got to to get us through the first few days of the week. Absolutely. It's really, it's game changing. When people start to do it and implement it, they go, oh my goodness, what was I doing before? <laughs> One of the reasons um, we've we've got you on the show, Emma, is to really talk about food and nutrition and the connection with sleep. You know, there's a lot of research around between links around the food that we're eating and sleep. What can you tell us about that? Yep, there is a lot of research um, and a lot of connection between those two. And I think that when I think about food and sleep, it's not just about uh, what you're looking at eating prior to going to bed, although that's very important. I think that even looking at what you're eating across the whole day, that can actually set you up or not set you up for a good night's sleep. So in terms of the actual, the few mechanisms behind um, what makes a good or bad night's sleep and food. So blood sugar levels are a big one. Yeah. Um, so across the day, making sure that we've got some really, uh, really decent macro balanced meals that are balancing out, you know, that combination of protein, fats and carbs, you know, it's like an almost a magic combination that our bodies thrive on. And if you do it correctly, then your blood sugars stay quite stable across the day. There's less fluctuation. They're not going up like a roller coaster and coming all the way down and then continuing to have that pattern, which can really wreak havoc uh, when it comes to sleeping. Um, and then they have a an on a, a byproduct effect, uh, blood sugar levels on cortisol. So we all know that cortisol is extremely important. Um, in, in good, you know, it's often touted as, I guess, a, a bad hormone, you know, it's a stress hormone, but it's so necessary um, and we just need the right amounts of it. So food can highly influence cortisol production um, and, again, making sure that we're having those balanced meals so our cortisol stays as, as stable as possible. And then by the end of the day, our cortisol really should be starting to diminish so that our melatonin production can start to really ramp up and that's what really helps us to get a good night's sleep. So often I see in clinic that um, if, you know, there isn't this balanced meal uh, meal intake going on across the day and a lot of other factors can push into this situation as well. But I find that 
you know, cortisol is almost flipped sometimes during the day. It can be quite low. And then during the nighttime when it's meant to be at its lowest, it can start to really push up and influence uh, sleep in a really negative way. And that can be from a number of reasons. So that can be either diet or stress and anxiety based. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, the first thing I would look at with someone who's going through that is, well, there's two things is one, one of them is diet to make sure that there isn't some blood sugar imbalance going on. That's really pressing that cortisol or pushing it up at that time um, and looking at meal timing. But the other thing would be, yes, stress and anxiety and how, how that's going and looking at what are the ways that we can actually start to reduce this um, from a, a behavioral point of view and also even supplements if we need to as well. Yeah. So that's a huge one. Um, but the other thing is eating too close to bedtime can have huge effects. Uh, you know, it can be quite detrimental to our sleep because, uh, you know, our gastrointestinal system, we need to give it some time to digest our foods, especially if we have a really heavy meal, like a big, you know, creamy pasta or a big, uh, rich kind of protein dense meal. Protein takes the longest to digest in our, in our stomach. Um, it breaks down quite slowly. So we need to give it the time before we actually head to bed. And I always say to my clients, at least two hours, if not more before, you know, before between finishing your dinner and, and then going to bed. If you can make it, you know, sometimes with shift work and stuff, it's quite hard. But, you know, in your general day to day, you know, your normal kind of nighttime routine, try to have dinner relatively early and then give your body the time to digest and break down that food. And then it's ready for sleep and it can do the things it needs to during sleep, which we know that so much happens during sleep. Digestion shouldn't be one of them. (laughs) That's right. And what about caffeine and alcohol? Big ones. So caffeine is a big um, uh, stimulant, obviously, and alcohol is the opposite. It's a depressant. But I'll talk about caffeine first. So caffeine, it it has a half-life of eight hours, which, which means that if we have a coffee at, you know, 12 p.m., uh, it can still stay in our system until 8 p.m. And then, wow. you know, the, so same thing if you had it for, at 2, it could still stay in your system, you know, at 10 p.m. So really having a look at how what your intake of caffeine is like, if it is, if you're having caffeine during the day and also how sensitive you are because some people are even more sensitive and even a, caf- a coffee in the morning can be enough to really affect their sleep at night. So it's that's a kind of an individual thing. But as a rule, I tell my clients really to try and watch that caffeine intake after midday or after lunchtime, like it's a real no-go zone uh, yeah. just because it, it can affect. And even if you don't feel like it does, um, you know, straight away, if you don't feel that buzz, it can hang around in the system for quite a long time and really, uh, yeah, stop us from falling asleep um, in a timely manner and then staying asleep. Would you recommend we sort of, in a lot of our communication, make that suggestion that people um, stop drinking caffeine after 2 or 3 p.m. generally. Mm. But I guess, as you said, Mm -hmm. it is personalised. But is that sort of Mm. a a bit of a golden rule? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, around that lunchtime period, um, I often say to my clients, I guess I'm a little bit more harsh here. (laughs) I say really just try try to uh, steer clear of caffeine in the p.m. at all because – and again, yeah, it, it really is. Some people feel that they can have it and then go to sleep straight away. Um, but a lot of people, yeah, it really can affect them um, 
negatively even if they have it at that 2 or 3 p.m and they even you know sometimes like if people are a little bit uh are questioning that a little bit for themselves I say do an experiment you know like have a coffee at 3 p.m and see how your sleep is yeah and then have a and then don't have a coffee at 3 p.m and make sure you have it before midday and then see how that is and often it will you know they'll come back and say yeah you you were right actually when I actually pay attention to that my sleep is a whole lot better and I didn't realize the connection yes and and alcohol is it is it you know where where do you sit on the fence when, when it comes to alcohol and sleep? Yeah, so, I mean, look, I do enjoy a glass of red wine here <laughs> or there. I'm, I'm definitely a fan of a nice red. However, um, you know, on a on a nightly or a, um, a very frequent basis, I would not um, recommend that kind of in, any kind of alcoholic intake at night because although we feel like it, well, it is, it's, it's a depressant. So it, it helps a lot of people to calm down after a busy day of work. And it's just a bit of a, even also a mental thing too, right? You know, you come home and you, you might have a drink, a beer, or you might pour yourself a wine just to chill out. However, um, even, you know, even one to two glasses can really start to impact our ability to, um, to, continue to be asleep so us what we call sleep maintenance so although sleep initiation is much easier it feels with um, some alcohol in our system because it does depress our nervous system and makes everything you know um, happen or occur a little bit more slowly then later on in the night our body is dealing with that because actually alcohol is a toxin that our body doesn't it doesn't store at all so when we're intaking alcohol our body goes oh Let's halt all of these processes and let's deal with this toxin so it gets pushed to the front of the line and then the, the liver and the body is dealing with that um, whilst we're trying to sleep and whilst we're trying to do all of the other things that we normally would do when we're asleep. So, you know, all of that memory cons- consolidation and, and all of that kind of stuff, that repair work and, you know, detoxing our entire you know uh, entire system when we're sleeping it's just putting that burden on top of that so I recommend you know try to limit the alcohol intake um if if you can and and yeah working around ways other ways to maybe feel a little bit more relaxed when they get home as opposed to you know just grabbing a, a drink yeah and I think one of the things that we talk a lot about um over here at the good night co is around um looking at what your routine your sleep routine looks like mm. and starting that that really starts you know for a lot of people from the time that you get home and so if you can create a new routine if you're trying to drink less alcohol that doesn't include alcohol and maybe replacing that with a mineral water or a herbal tea that could be a great alternate fix as well Mm, yep, absolutely. And I've talked a lot about this to clients and when, when we're trying to reduce our alcohol intake, um, you know, especially when it's a real, it, it becomes a real routine and a real behavior that our body just starts to rely on a little bit too much sometimes. And so it's it's about breaking that up a little bit and yeah, replacing that alcoholic drink with something else. So if it is like the actual habit of having a drink there, like the, you know, the, yeah, the whole behavioral uh, your routine of doing that, then it's we could replace it with something else, um, you know, and then also a, a herbal tea is that next step, even better, because yeah. there's properties in those herbal teas that can really help us to wind down as well. So that is the ultimate, yeah, the ultimate substitute there. And, you know, there's a lot of um, myths about eating uh, and eating well. What mm. what would be your, you know, what's your kind of favourite myth that, that you think is floating around? Yeah, so I guess I touched on it before, but one of them is that eating well is really difficult. Mm. And I 
yeah, I am really passionate about this topic because I know I am biased and I love to spend time in the kitchen. Um, but, you know, I I think that healthy eating does not have to be hard. And, it, I mean, it's just a matter of knowing a few flavour combinations to be able to put together if you're not going by recipes. So that's the other thing. It's that healthy eating is boring and it's difficult. One of my, my pet hates is people saying salads are boring because <laughs> I, I really don't believe that. Oh, they're I, my favourite food. Oh, ex- me too. But I think that it, they are my favourite food because I don't create a boring salad. And I, for sure, people can create you bo- a boring salad, you know, um, but it's all about mixing it up with different textures and different flavours. And I guess when I love teaching people, you know, combinations of herbs and spices and flavors um, that go together, which is actually, I think, a skill that a lot of people are missing these days with not being in the kitchen a lot and even maybe not growing up with someone there to teach them this kind of stuff. Um, then the flavor combinations. So, for example, you know, your um, your herbs and your spices and, you know, your olive oils and your, your different things that come together to really create that flavor bomb every time we're eating. It is possible to have a really, really beautiful, nourishing, but really tasty meal every time you eat. But it's just a matter of, uh, yeah, turning turning that perception around and just exploring those different flavours and cuisines as well. Of course, if you're going to have steamed veggies, you know, really bland steamed broccoli and poached chicken with that much flavour, yes, that is boring. <laughs> and I would, I would consider that quite boring and monotonous as well. But if you mix it up with lots of different herbs and spices and um, different textures and different, yeah, different cooking styles. It can be an absolute pleasure to, to actually cook as well. So if someone's struggling with sleep, what are the foods that you would suggest that they might eat more of and foods that they might eat less of? So I would, in, in terms of eating more of, so as I said before, it all goes back to even your, your food intake from the, the time that you first eat for the day. You need to think about it's almost you set yourself up for a good sleep by just even the start of the day and what you're putting into your body. So as I said before, so it's it's making sure you've got, um, I usually say at least three good quality macronutrient balanced meals across the day. So if you do have that, so meaning, you know, each meal contains some kind of protein dense food, some kind of good fat, um, some kind of little bit of complex carbohydrate, not too much, but just enough. Um, and also, you know, a heap of good uh, variety of different low starch veggies. If we're aiming for that, most meals, you know, most of the time, I'm a, I'm a fan of that 80-20 rule. Yeah. But most of the time, then we can make, we can really ensure that our blood sugar is, you know, stable across the day. And then therefore our cortisol and, and all of that is functioning along really, really nicely. So I guess that's not, not particular, you know, eat a certain food, but it's more, in terms of eating patterns and eating habits, that's an absolute must for a good sleep. The other thing is, is you know, for certain eating certain foods are are really beneficial. So, for example, we know that magnesium is really really beneficial for sleep, and that's found in all of your really dark leafy greens, um, your nuts and your seeds, and even some whole grains. So, again, it's just going back to that really whole foods balanced diet. Yes. Um, The other thing is things like we want to make sure that we have enough tryptophan in our diet, which is amino acid. It's a precursor to serotonin, which is then the precursor to melatonin. So all of all of these amino acids and these proteins that we're consuming, they do they absolutely do wonders in our body once they're broken down. Um, So we want to be eating things like turkey and seafood and nuts and seeds and legumes. Again, a really whole foods diet. 
Um, and then even vitamins such as B6, B complexes, uh, you know, all of your B vitamins are extremely important. They do really all work together. But in particular, there's a fair bit of research around B6, not only for sleep, but for mood as well. So really making sure that we're getting foods such as, you know, your, a lot of different seeds um, and even things like bananas and avocados and spinach. So all of those things are, you know, we're just going back to fruit and veggies and, you know, good quality meats and nuts and seeds, which is the basis of a whole food diet. Yeah, and I guess it's that um, having people armed with that information that, um, you know, eating these foods, they actually do play a role. So you're not just eating them for the flavor, but you're eating them because they are going to play a role in your body to help your body function in different ways. Mm, absolutely. And foods, all of the nutrients in, in foods, I mean, I'm a huge fan of food, you know, food first before supplements. And I'm yeah. sure, you know, I, of course I do prescribe supplements, um, but only really good quality stuff that, that is at therapeutic doses. But I'm a big fan of getting as many nutrients as we can from food. And when you do that, the nutrients in food works synergistically. So it works in a way that our body is used to and knows about, and our bodies can really easily take that food apart and start to use it, as opposed to uh, which, you know, these are the foods that we should consume less of, that more processed, highly processed, you know, refined foods, such as, you know, white foods like white, you know, flowers and and um, trans fats and things like that lot with lots of additives and preservatives and whatnot in them, which our body doesn't actually recognize a lot of the time as food. So it's actually making, it's giving our body a whole extra step of trying to break that down into a recognizable piece of information. As I said before, food is information and, and bringing it, um, bringing it to our body and going, okay, break this down. You know, and I think the body has to do such a more comprehensive job of doing that. And you touched before, Emma, on um, supplements. And so maybe if you could just talk really quickly around helping the, our audience understand the difference, the difference between supplements, because not all supplements are equal. There is a huge, I don't know, I don't know if it's a misconception or... But there is certainly a difference between, so we, we only work with uh, really, really high quality, you know, practitioner grade supplements from companies that have really, really, really um, good processing and manufacturing of these supplements and the, the formulas are really low excipient. Yeah. So they, what you, you're guaranteed of a certain dose and you guarantee that this formula doesn't have a heap of other you know, crap added to it, um, which is which can be what you are buying when you're, you know, picking the supplement out from a from the grocery store aisle, or you're going to um, your your pharmacy sometimes and just picking the cheapest option. Um, I I would go as far as to say sometimes certain supplements. Um, there's definitely differences here, but certain supplements I. I would say you're better off not even having them. Um, yeah. so, so things like fish oil, I would say that you're actually better off not even ingesting that if it's a poor quality fish oil uh, because you're probably doing more harm than good. You really want to make sure you're getting really, really good quality supplements. So I guess that's my stance here. And would you suggest that people um, perhaps seek advice rather than just shopping in a supermarket or a pharmacy? So really seek out that advice to be prescribed the right supplements rather than 
self-prescribing. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is so important. And I think, uh, you know, if you are self-prescribing, you know, you read, you can read up and you, everyone can Google, you know, what are the best supplements for this or for that. But um, not everybody knows about the interactions that can happen between those supplements and also the interactions between what can, you know, between even the medications that you use um, and supplements as well, because both nutrient and herbal supplements can be very strong if you take them in high enough dosages. And I think that people uh, aren't aware of of those repercussions that can happen, and especially even long term supplementation with certain nutrients, you know, is not advised. So everybody is so so different with uh, you know different an individual background, a different health history, um, the way that everyone's body works is slightly different. So it is really important to get that knowledge from a qualified health professional who can guide you in, in terms of what you actually need. Yes. And Emma, I know we talked before about, you know, your, your passion is definitely um, in supporting those with mental health challenges. And we know that sleep plays a massive part in this. So mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about that connection as well? Yeah, sure. Sleep is just, it's so foundational to good mental health. Um, and it, you know, straight away, it's a key component. As I mentioned before, it's a key component I look at when clients do come to me with mental health issues because you just can't ignore it. It's actually, I, I say food and movement and sleep are probably the top three things that I would look at when it comes to mental health. And if you're not you know, if you're eating a really, really good diet and you're moving, but your sleep is absolutely rubbish, then you are at a really severe disadvantage. So sometimes if someone presents with really poor sleep quality or quantity, then we will start work on that straight away. And that's the the biggest kind of bang for your buck thing that we can start to do. And with mental health as well, like there is, it's a bit of a chicken or the egg scenario. So um, both if you have poor sleep quality or quantity or a sleep disorder, such as, you know, insomnia, then you are 10 times more likely to have a mental health issue, such as depression or anxiety. But then the reverse of that is also true. So, you know, if if you um, have depression or anxiety, you are also more likely to have a disrupted sleep pattern too. So we do know that in research, these things go hand in hand, but it's just working to make sure that you can Again, it's looking at that root cause. So trying to figure out why is it that I'm not having a good night's sleep and trying to figure out is it, you know, is it cortisol? Is it blood sugar? Is it nutrient deficiencies? Is it diet? Is it stress and anxiety from my work day or my family life? You know, there's so many things that can be pushing that disrupted sleep. So it's really, really trying to get to the root cause of those issues and working them out and then sleep, good sleep can follow. Great. And I I know that I think one of the things that we sometimes probably don't put enough emphasis on is that we are in tune with our bodies more than anybody can be. And I think that really tapping in and understanding what's going on um, in our own bodies can help us get to some of those answers. And then I also really feel that if it's available to people that seeking out some professional help, like someone like yourself, is a great way to then be able to just use the answers to those questions to formulate, um, you know, what the next steps can look like, you know, and understanding for people that they they don't need to do it all on their own. Um, Tapping in and understanding what's going on is the great first step. And then um, being able to talk to other people about it, professionals, is a great place to to get back on track. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'm yeah, a huge believer that everybody has their own, you know, gut instinct and they have their own connection with their body. And I always am encouraging um, my clients to 
to really take that connection back and to really listen to what the body is saying you know like listen to your hunger and your fullness cues listen if you are you know if you've got a headache or if you're not feeling great and and notice some patterns as well so that's really really valuable information because the body is so intelligent like it it gives us symptoms and it gives us symptoms for a reason Um, but then also having the the help of someone else because it can be really overwhelming when we are dealing with health issues whether they be things like mental health issues or even just gut issues or hormonal issues or something you know still fatigue or anything like that which I see all the time in clinic when we're dealing with issues like that and we try we try our best to try and figure them out on our, by ourselves, it can be really overwhelming. So even having that practitioner or that health professional to come in, listen to your story, so listen to what's going on for you and that person that just doesn't know about your life to just, you know, inject themselves and go, well, this is what I think is going on. Let's start to investigate this a little bit better and really work with you and, and yeah, really listen to what you're saying and what your body is, you know, responding to. I think that's so, so important because I, a lot of people just haven't been listened to. And I think that it, it's, yeah, it's a huge thing when it comes to um, managing health. Such great advice. And I think that, you know, at the moment, there's a lot of people out there reassessing what's going on um, for themselves and what the new norm looks like. And so I think that reassessing um diet, exercise, sleep, all of these three categories, which are the three, you know, three key pillars of health, uh, it's a great time to to put that into the whole assessment piece to see whether mm. or not all of those things are working together the way they need to be. Yeah, absolutely. I could not agree more. Now is the time we've been forced to slow down and what better time than to pay attention to what our body is telling us and what for some people our bodies might have been telling us for quite a while and we just haven't had the time or the energy to slow down and actually listen. Now is the time that as a collective we can do that and I just think that's the silver lining in this situation at the moment. Oh, absolutely, definitely. And, you know, just recapping on some of the things that we talked about is that, you know, it's a great time to be spending a little bit more time in the kitchen, getting curious, understanding where food's coming from and how you can prepare that for yourself or your family or loved ones and using that extra time that we all have at the moment, whether that's in the afternoons or mornings or weekends, um, to just put a little bit more attention onto our food for starters. And I think that you've provided so many great, amazing um, insights and tips today. So thank you so much. Um, oh, no worries. We'd love to know what's coming up for you. Um, you mentioned before about um, launching a program. Mm. So, uh, you know, I, I work one-on-one primarily with clients, but it's been, a, I guess, a, a goal or a dream of mine for some time now to start to uh, work with more people. You know, how can I help more people? So I've, I've actually written a six-week online mental wellness course, which wow. is going to be run through the clinic I work at, which is called the JCN Clinic, uh-huh. which is in Brisbane, but it's online. So this mental wellness program, it's over six weeks it's there's a lot of education there's a lot of uh basically I walk the participants through uh what I would do with a a client one-on-one so when it comes to mental health there are so many areas that we need to look at but you know starting with food and 
and and looking at okay do I have nutrition deficiencies you know what does that look like um what can I ask for in terms of blood testing you know all of that thing right up to right up to movement what is the right movement for you and sleep like there's gonna there's gonna be a whole week on just sleep alone and how we can how we can better that so it is real a really holistic approach to mental health and I'm so excited so the first um round of that starts in just over a week so I'm very very excited wow. about that yeah um but other than that I'll just continue to be working online and I'm working on a few other little online kind of things at the moment too um some online courses but yeah that's they're the main couple of things that I'm currently doing and where can people find out about the course so the best way is to um go onto actually the JCN website so it's just jessicacox.com.au and there is a um you'll find on there just a a bit of information about the courses that we're offering so we're offering a few different ones at the moment um but if you go down to the mental wellness one that I'm doing that's where all of that information could be found great otherwise I have um chatted a lot and put up a fair bit of info on my own Instagram account what is that so it's just um at Emma Morris or one word and then underscore nutrition yes and um, yeah, I have a little a little highlights reel just about that mental co- uh, wellness course, so you can click on that to see me chatting about it. Beautiful. Um, but yeah, and we can check you out at emmamorris.com.au. So we'll yep. uh, put all of these links in the show notes as well. Perfect. Thank Lovely. you. Thank you so much um, for sharing all of this amazing wisdom with us today, Emma. It's so wonderful to have you on the show and to talk to somebody who's clearly so passionate and knows so much about health, nutrition, well-being, wellness and sleep. Um, I think that there's been some great information shared today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to The Good Night Show. If you're keen to learn more about our guests or any of the topics we've spoken about today, hop on over to the Good Night Co. closed Facebook community group or check us out at thegoodnightco.com.au. And if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast provider by searching The Good Night Show. And if you love what you're hearing, don't forget to leave us a glowing review. Thanks, everyone.